Well, good morning, Westridge. Yeah, come on, bring it on. <laughs> so I'm thinking about, you know, coming back after being gone for several months, and uh, all I could think of was one of my favorite theologian philosophers, quote, um, his name is Michael Corleone, <laughs> and the quote is from the third of the trilogy when he says, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. I, <laughs> I didn't put that in the notes, Michael. Some of you know that when I transitioned out of the teaching pastor role here, I took a new job with senior health care, and so I work for a ministry called Christian Homes. It's a not-for-profit um, faith-based ministry that has retirement centers around the Midwest. And their tagline is Communities of Compassion. Now, that sounds like a good tagline, but it got me thinking. I'm wondering if all 2,500 employees have the same definition of compassion. I'm wondering if all of, us, all of us in this room this morning have the same definition, understanding of that word compassion. So it got me thinking about this message today. There was an interesting uh, blog in the Huffington Post just a few days ago, and the title of it was, I'm Tired of Being a Christian. That was the title of it. And a little excerpt goes like this. It carries the weight of so many tears that have been shed after someone was verbally accosted by a Christian. It carries the weight of scars and wounds that run so deeply. They've latched onto people's identities and sense of self-worth. And I'm tired. I'm tired of being a Christian. This isn't irritation or angst. It's exhaustion. I'm tired of being a Christian if it means I have to believe that I have a monopoly on ethical living or spiritual truth. If my personal creed needs to be forced on or applied to anyone other than myself, this isn't for me. I'm tired of policing in the name of righteousness, which really just starts sounding a lot like, I'm more right than you, Ness. In contrast to decades ago, this word Christian is a polarizing one, let alone the word compassion. Much of American Christianity is veered away from Jesus' following to religion and rules. And religion and rules makes us tired. And tired and exhausted people, more often than not, are also angry people. Notice any anger in culture today? And angry people, on the whole, are, you know, they're just not that much fun to be around. This is not the time to ramp up the culture wars. And this is not the time to retreat to a monastery. This is the time for Jesus' followers to show the world the essence of Jesus' following, which is our word for the day, compassion. Uh, compassion doesn't get used so much, it seems, these days. You can probably go months at work without hearing your boss say, I wish I could find a way to respond more compassionately to all my employees. And the fact that you're laughing indicates my point. 
Or compassion motivated me last weekend to give up my golf game and go out and make a difference in my community. But therein lies the problem. To have compassion, you have to give God your eyes. Otherwise, the tendency is to say the issues are so overwhelming, what can I do? And close our eyes to all the needs around us so that we see nothing, feel nothing, hear nothing. Watch any news and you'll discover people in need, an environment in stress, animals being abused, children being neglected, or if you live in Chicago, people being shot. It's up to around 1,600 so far this year. I used to speak on this subject and quote an array of statistics Boring audiences like you out of your mind even further than you are now. And I thought to myself, these stats will motivate people to compassionate action. And it turns out I was wrong. The stats were so overwhelming, they just caused people to close their eyes. So I'll spare you all the gory details and statistics today, and I'll try another approach. I'll start not with the call to action. I'll start with the question. What do you see? I'm sitting at an intersection in Dallas. It's rainy. It's cool. It's windy. And it's 9 a.m. I'm sitting at the off-ramp waiting for the light to change. And I start looking around. In front of me is a brand new, shiny, jet black Corvette with a Texas license plate that reads, Wet One. Wet One. Only a few feet to my left is a person holding a sign, dirty, disheveled. I couldn't tell whether this person was a male or a female. That's never a good sign. And the sign read, we'll work for food, God bless you. Now I have a choice, which way do I look? What do I see? Do I look at the Corvette with envy? And by the way, what does that license plate mean? (laughs) Or do I look at this androgynous person with the sign and allow myself to feel compassion? The direction I look determines what I feel and eventually what I do. What do you see? We even say of people who condone ethically or morally questionable behavior, they look the other way. Or they only saw what they wanted to see. Or it was under their nose all along and they didn't see it. Turns out one of the central characteristics of Jesus is this. He kept his eyes open. Even when there were unpleasant things to see. This was in sharp contrast to the hypocritical religious leaders. You know those people that swarmed around him his entire ministry? They turned a blind eye to the real needs around them. They were the blind leading the blind. Matthew 15, 32 describes one of those instances when Jesus took a look around him and he saw hungry people 
Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd. Why? Because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat, and I don't want to send them away hungry. They might faint along the way. Now, before we go any further, we need some quick definitions. If you look into Webster's definition of compassion, you'll see that they use the word pity. And that's a pity. Because seeing people with compassion is not the same as having pity on people. And it's not what the New Testament word translated compassion means. The word literally means to be moved on the inside. To have your innermost parts moved. It's seeing a situation and feeling it in the pit of your stomach. So, let me suggest three Jesus touches for real Jesus followers to help us tell the difference between compassion and an intestinal disorder. (laughs) Jesus' touch, one, is that Jesus touches people at the point of their felt need. That's what Jesus is doing here in our passage. He looks around and he sees the felt need. And what was the felt need? People were hungry. That's what a felt need is. It's a need that people feel. And they know they have it. You don't have to convince them they have it. They know they have it. And frequently the felt need will have to be addressed before they're ready to hear anything about the good news that God loves them and accepts them. In our text, the felt need is hunger, and that's still a felt need for many. Other physical felt needs include health care, shelter, clothing, safety. I'm learning senior health care. The felt need may be emotional, loneliness, anger, grief. It may be educational, parenting skills, job training, English classes. Regardless of the felt need, they have two things in common. They're felt by the person in need as being very important to their existence. And they're frequently outside of their ability to obtain. And so here and other places in the gospel, Jesus touches people at at the level of their felt need. And he gives us an example to follow. And so for those of us who wonder whether Jesus' followers should be in the business of touching people at the level of their physical or emotional needs, the answer is, without a doubt, yes. Some mistakenly think the church should be in the business of enforcing creeds and conjuring up doctrines and judging people who don't agree with their version of their creeds and doctrines. I like the quote from Roger Greenway. He says, If we wipe out poverty but neglect to tell the poor the good news about Jesus Christ, we will have failed in our mission. And if we preach the gospel but ignore the plight of the poor, we are false prophets. Both are required. The book of James reminds us, and by the way, let Darren know I threw in this gratuitous reference to the book of James because that's a series. We're pretending this isn't serious. Just between me and you. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Frequently, the first touch is at the felt need level. And one of my favorite examples of this in the city, close to where I live, is Breakthrough Urban Ministry. Those of you that go back a few years will remember me talking about this. 
If you've always lived near a grocery store, here's something you've probably never considered. There are neighborhoods across the United States where it's nearly impossible to buy fresh produce. These places are called food deserts. And Breakthrough is in one of those in the West Garfield Park neighborhood of Chicago. And so one of their first priorities is exactly what Jesus would do. Open up a fresh market. Because... I don't want to send them away hungry. They might faint. We want to always have our eyes open so we don't miss the opportunity to meet people at the point of their felt need, but you'll miss it if God doesn't have your eyes. Uh, Jesus touched number two. Jesus touched people with compassion, not pity. I've already alluded to the fact the two are not the same. But it's interesting what Jesus said after identifying the felt need. Going back to our Matthew 15 passage, people are around him, they're hungry. He says, I don't want to send them away hungry. And the disciples responded the way many do today when confronted with a need. They came up with objections why we can't meet the need. The problem's too big for us to solve. The grocery stores, they're already closed. Our credit cards that are already maxed out. And do you remember what Jesus said after identifying the need? Going back to that Matthew 15 passage. He says, how many loaves of bread do you have? That's ultimately an empowering statement. It's a statement of compassion, not pity. Pity might have said, I feel sorry for you. Here's some money. Go buy yourself a Big Mac. Someone has said, pity weeps and walks away. Compassion comes to help and stay. Pity often produces the tears that close our eyes from another's other's problem. Pity observes, compassion involves. And so Jesus respected the dignity of the people and empowered them. And he asked them this empowering questions. What do you have? What can you do? Implying do what you can with what you have and I'll take care of the rest. That's all he's ever asked of us. Compassion has as its goal empowerment, not dependency. Compassionate ministry empowers people to care for themselves in dignified and effective ways. It's the opposite of fostering dependency. If you're only around to help, you're a resource to exploit rather than a potential friend. Long-term relief creates dependency, and dependency is debilitating and dehumanizing, and pity can lead to paternalism, which can lead to manipulation, which can lead to resentment from the very people we're trying to help. Well, here's the third touch. So what I want to leave with you, and that is that Jesus, He also wants to touch you with compassion at the point of your felt need today. Am I guessing right? There are a few felt needs in this room today. The fact is, I stand in need of compassion on far more occasions than I care to mention. Seeing myself without pity is an important first step because chances are, if I see myself with pity, I'll see others with pity. Turns out overwhelming needs reveal our need to trust in God, to reveal to us what we can do and what we can't do. Don't allow what you can't do to keep you from doing what you can. That's all He's ever asked of us. 
confronted with enormous needs, I'm reminded of my need to ask Jesus continuously, constantly, keep my eyes open and show other people the same compassion you've shown me. My father got into the Jesus following thing uh, a little bit late in life. He was 68 when I baptized him uh, as a sign of this commitment. And to be honest, he never was a Bible scholar, let alone a Bible thumper. And he went to a small town church and, you know, quite honestly, didn't get the best teaching. He didn't have superstar pastors like Darren and Greg, which tells you the bar was really low there. Really low. And uh, so growing up in rural Kansas, he taught my brother and I how to play poker, how to ride a horse, and how to shoot a gun. Turns out that was good preparation for my 20 years as a pastor. (laughs) But somehow he knew compassion was central to being a Jesus follower. And so hours before he passed from this this life, this past Memorial Day, the nurse came in to find out how he was doing, and he pointed to the Bible on his table, and he says, that book tells me not to worry. And later that evening, he called his family to, to his bedside, and he said, I'm done. That's all. He then proceeded to pull his covers off and said, I'm going. I said, where are you going? And he just pointed up like that. And our daughter said, Grandpa, you need to rest. And he said, I don't need to rest. I need to go home. And hours later, this World War II vet got his final discharge papers to go home. He was showing us compassion right up to the end. Well, the righteous, you know, those religious rule makers with their eyes closed. Here's what they say. They say, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and, and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. To do anything to any of the least of these, you first got to see them. The author of I'm Tired of Being a Christian, she ends her article this way. As a child sitting in children's Sunday school, Jesus seemed to say, It's okay. You're welcome here. Come sit down right here next to me. But I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Highlighted in my father's Bible I brought home are these words from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke, it's easy, 
my burden? It's light. This week, take a look at how many loaves you do have, not what you don't have. And take a look into the eyes of those around you. You may be surprised at who you see.